0: And salutations! You are listening to the Into North Podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I'm one of your hosts, Lyndon, a.k.a. Noobzors, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt, a.k.a. Null. Yo. And Morgan, a.k.a. Spleenface. How's it go? Unfortunately, Reed, a.k.a. Sick Robot, couldn't be with us here today. Um, hopefully we'll see him next week. Um, but yeah, uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about engines and uh, cars... Um mm-hmm. all that kind of, you know, all we're just we're motorcycles, yeah, mo- we're, we're, we're...
1: definitely trains, planes. Oh yeah. yeah here no
2: we go. no Paradox engines, unfortunately. <laughs> Dude too soon <laughs> sorry yeah that was that was that was maybe a bit uh abrupt uh, I think the real question is was
0: paradox engine an engine <laughs> oh god <laughs> so yeah. we'll, get into, yeah, we'll get into that later hot take um, or
1: maybe we won't
0: <laughs> yeah but so before before we get into uh discussing engines which it's going to be it's it's kind of a, a interesting topic to uh to talk in, to to get into because there's it's it's a it's a word that gets used between so many different card games like you know Hearthstone, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. I'm sure like they, everyone borrows each other's language and you know things get muddled up in the mix. So we'll we'll, we'll be talking about engines in the context of uh, Magic specifically CEDH. So hopefully that uh, you know we don't make anyone too upset by you know defining things incorrectly or uh, how we can perceive things. But yeah.
1: But how many garnets does the deck have? That's the real question.
0: Very topical. Not really Yu-Gi-Oh reference, Morgan. Thank you. Um, yeah. So before we get into that, what have you guys been up to since the last episode?
1: Honestly, I'm playing not some a whole Nexus lot. Super League. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> okay. We played in the Nexus Super League. It's, it's participated. Been rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got played in the Nexus Super League. <laughs> We've
2: contributed to win rates.
1: So what, what, what's your record? Just uh. To-
2: <laughs> to have a to have a record of the record so uh,
0: you know while you guys yeah. were uh were, were doing that you know and and bringing shame to the podcast i was uh grinding arena for call time
2: uh released
0: at the new season and i hit my peak arena rating which is rank four mythic
2: so wow pretty proud i actually of that. don't know what that means it means that that, so
0: mythic the way it works is that you you start bronze silver gold it means his
1: pp is bigger than yours (laughs)
0: platinum diamond mythic and then normally when you get into mythic uh it gives you a percent uh, like a percentage so like in 90 uh, 95 mythic is usually where people come in um and then after you hit after you cross the 100 so if you win you'll you'll go up to 96 97 and then once you cross the threshold then you get to numbered mythic so you'd start like it just tells you your rank on it's just like a leaderboard. Oh, straight up so, yeah, like actual top leaderboard yeah 1500 is the last numbered position all the way up to rank one mythic and my peak position
2: was number four so dude that's actually incredibly impressive i nice was i was pretty happy locked. with it
0: but basically i got it because i was a sweaty nerd and just Jammed games <laughs> on the first day of the season. So when I got into Mythic, I got placed into rank four because
2: uh, oh, only four yeah. people were in Mythic. So, so basically, oh, what you're okay. saying is, well, thank you for telling me that bit. All
1: of our tournament, res- all, all of our tournament results are being accomplished without the help of the greatest Magic the player on the podcast, yeah, playing yeah, yeah, yeah. Arena, yeah. and because
2: <laughs> and because I always wake up at the right time. So when I do my my chess.com puzzle survival, I'll be the first one to complete it and always be rank one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my I think my peak, I think my last uh, rating, that when once like people are now in percentage mythic, so my current ranking I think is like fifty, rank fifty mythic, so still still really solid, but uh, definitely not number four. Next time the season rotates, I'm just gonna have to scumbag it and scumbag it even harder because I was playing some meme decks um, with with some so you're saying- friends and like I could have gotten rank one mythic if I had been try harding it even more. So I'm gonna try that next time.
1: You're saying that since launch, literally 10 times as many people have proved that they're better at magic than you? Man, that's... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so without... <laughs> you know, that, we, we can sit around and shuffle words <laughs> around all day.
0: Just... <laughs> without further ado, let's jump into housekeeping. Um, and so as always, we shout out new patrons in housekeeping. And uh, we have a new patron this week. And big shout out to... RJ
1: J. Just R uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> we, we normally do first <laughs> like name last initial, but that this one's a little awkward. Yeah. yeah. So um
0: but yeah. Thank yeah. you, RJ, for becoming a patron, and as always, you rock. You Roche. Roche. Um cool. So new developments. Uh Morgan, I know you have some things you want to talk about here.
1: Yeah, so uh, last weekend, uh, at the time we're recording this, there were, well, I okay, get, around a week ago, there were <laughs> uh, not one, but two tournaments in the same day. Uh, so there was the Crack Open a Kaldheim tournament put on by the r slash uh, cdh discord uh, server, and it was, uh, everyone had to play, a co- at least one of your commanders had to be from either Legends or Kaldheim. Um, and I believe that it was won by Kodama Sakashima, which is definitely uh, an interesting yeah. deck. Uh, and it had commentary from uh, Callahan and Rebel, and I'm definitely forgetting someone, and I'm sorry to whoever I'm forgetting. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, definitely a cool tournament. So just uh, the you said the
0: winner played Kodama Sakashima, but you didn't say who the winner was. Was it? Sorry, yeah. The
1: winner was his yeah Uh, um sorry nope Go uh and then uh much earlier that day there was also the tier one con tournament so uh tier one con is a danish convention and they're hosting several online tournaments uh that uh like leading into the actual convention which will happen um you know when there's not a plague um, and Morgan just happened to be up, you know. Yeah, I just happened to be up <laughs> uh, at three thirty a.m. to, you know, banish to the basement, so I didn't wake anyone up uh, to play in this tournament. And uh, I, uh, I wound up taking it down with Razzicats and going, uh, going undefeated nice. in pools, and then winning in the final round.
0: So just, just a throwback for a minute to our year in review episode. How many what what did what did most of us agree on was like the best deck? Was it Razzicats? Cuz I'm pretty sure I mean, it was. We definitely
1: mentioned Cats. I don't know that we said that we it? all yeah. said it was the best deck, but it was one we we brought up. I, I think it was the end I'm, end. Dog, I'm pretty sure it?
0: I'm pretty sure we had several people saying that Razekats was the best meta in our best deck into the current meta. And it just I, mean, I said it. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure I also said it. Um and I think I thought Matt Matt was on he I think said, I he said like the yeah. stacks strategy with rule of laws, basically Razzicats or something like that. But yeah. We were we were all very high on Razicats and then Morgan puts up the uh, the results to prove it. So come to into the north yeah. for your, you know yeah, <laughs> top exactly. tier exactly. top tier advice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that's awesome. Also- Congratulations Morgan.
1: Thank you. Yeah, they, they're going to have more tournaments. Uh, I'll put the links for those in the description. And I believe they're also going to try and start them later, like not at 10 Central European time, um, so that, you know, it's mm. not like the worst for people in North America. Um, So hopefully, you know, may- maybe the next one will start at like 7 a.m. our time, which is like, you know, early, but not 3 a.m. Why did I do this to myself early? Dope, dope. So we'll, yeah, we'll put, we'll put links if you're interested in, in participating. It's, uh, you know, free to enter and they had some pretty sweet prizes. So definitely check that out. Awesome. Okay. And time to get into the
0: main discussion topic of this episode, which is of course, engines. So best place to start off. What is an engine? Um, and we had a long, long pre-show.
2: And uh, that's saying something. Our this. pre-shows yeah. are usually pretty long.
0: I could, can okay. we only imagine how much longer it would have been had Reed been here?
2: No, it <laughs> would have, have been this. shorter because he would have ha- <laughs> been the one to stop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah,
0: Sorry. so why don't why don't Morgan, Morgan, you, you can take us through the... Uh, this beginning stage of the definition because we, we've got a nice multi-part definition for you guys. So, uh, yeah, strap in.
1: All right. So, uh, engines are car, are cards, uh, or sets of cards that provide, uh, advantage. Sometimes like part of it is immediate, but some of that advantage comes, uh, along over time, uh, along one of several axes in the game. Um, the most common examples of these are cards and mana, um, but they can also provide things like card selection or, uh, you know, or access to access to cards like with sort of repeated tutor effects that don't provide direct card or mana advantage. Yeah. Um, so we, we phrased it
0: as non-immediate, fully realized advantage along an axis. So, yeah, yeah the, the idea being that there are cards that for instance, uh, Oren Frostfang Not really a, a CEDH card But um, it comes down And it provides Quote-unquote immediate advantage By, you know, you can attack I mean, Timna, why didn't I just say Timna? Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you just say Timna? <laughs> um, yeah. Is there something
1: we, sh- we need to talk about <laughs> yeah, here? Yeah. Uh,
0: so Timna comes down You attack with creatures It provides immediate advantage But it's not immediate, fully realized advantage Because it's persistent So... If there was a card that said, um, you know, I, I guess a, a common casual example is like Phyrexian Arena versus, um, you know, Read the Bones or, you know, some other, what's it, Painful Truths, the one with uh, the, the draws for each color. But yeah, so like Painful Truths uh, is a f- e- uh, card advantage that's fully realized immediately, and Phyrexian Arena not fully realized immediately. So if Phyrexian Arena ends up drawing the same amount of cards as Painful Truths, doesn't matter. It there one's an engine card, one isn't, uh, based on our de- definition.
1: Okay. Yeah. So then, yeah. So then we further sort of divided these into into two categories. Um, so the first is standalone, and these are cards that like don't really require any deck building considerations. So Phyrexian Arena, like like Lyndon said earlier, is a good one, right? No matter what your deck does, if you put Phyrexian Arena in play, it's going to draw you one card a turn. Uh, and it doesn't have any, like, particularly obvious synergies with, like, with, you know, strategies or or other cards that you might be running. Other than things that specifically mention interacting with you drawing cards, like draw doublers. But, you know, generally you don't need cards to make Phyrexian Arena do the Phyrexian Arena thing. Uh, Matt, do you want to talk about the, the other category?
2: Sure. Uh, and our other category is Synergy Base and we further broke that down into two categories uh so start off strategy based uh so our first example here is planeswalkers so um i thought we had an example here uh, but essentially uh i think sorry. i think
1: the the example that we had was was jace the mind yeah, jace here. or in, teferi in 60 like cards in 60 card, in 60 yeah. card formats or, or teferi hero of dominaria
0: Yes yeah, so the, right. the idea being that they prov- they're much like friction arenas where they kind of provide standalone card advantage but they require additional strategy elements to be um going on in the deck in order to be fully realized. Like friction arena can't no one can attack a Frexian arena to death. Uh whereas your Teferi, if you slam it to draw a card and then they just attack it and it dies you're you're not a happy camper. So the strategy element there is like, control, removal, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. And our and our second subcategory here is package-based. Uh, and our example here is Skullclamp. So, um, you know, providing that level of one-toughness creatures.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think package-based... Synergy-based, package-based uh, engines, engine cards, are what people typically associate with engine cards. Um <laughs> And I think, I think that's they're how usually it,
2: kind of the most interesting yeah. in Commander because a lot of the package based uh, engines are packaged with commanders.
0: Mm-hmm. And and this is in, you know, I was talking about engines being used in other card games. I think this is typically what other card games use to describe engines uh, things with lots of like internal, like card based synergy. So, uh, you know, we're going to discuss some examples because we've, we've broken down um, some common engines in. Uh, CDH. So, as a Gitrog player, I'm obviously going to use Gitrog as my example. So the a great a great example of uh, is Gitrog plus Life from the Loam, where they each you know say lands on them and they both say graveyard. They are both doing similar things with lands in the graveyard and they mesh nicely. And each, um, they're typically with package based uh, engines, the cards that are included all become greater than the sum of their parts. Um. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they certainly provide each other benefits um, in kind of that exponential sense. Uh-huh. Uh.
0: Yeah. So let's let's break down some of the uh, we've got two categories here. We've got engines in the 99 and engines in the command zone. So first we're going to cover engines in the command zone, obviously with, with a focus on CDH. So we kind of went through the uh, CDH uh, metagame report um, as well as you know, racking the top of our heads to, to pick to pick what we think are the most like quintessential uh, engine based commanders in uh, Cdh, and obviously we're going to be missing some, so you know, please don't rage. Uh, uh, no, no, but my favorite commander list, he, isn't
1: on the list. <laughs> that means that means we don't think it's a Cdh deck, and you should play a different deck. That's exactly mm-hmm. what that means. I think
0: we should be taking Tavesh off the list then, right? <laughs> okay. oh, oh boy. Here So the we first one on the list go. is Godo. Yeah. I'm just oh, God. <laughs> um yeah, so well we'll run down so let's let's uh, Morgan, you start. This is your this is your baby. Yeah. <laughs>
1: this is my okay. Uh the first one is Kes. Now obviously she requires I, I you know, she sort of straddles the line between, you know, whether or not she how much uh, synergy she really requires like playing instants and sorceries is not exactly uh, like a, a particularly strong deck building consideration um, but obviously there are cards that she plays super nice with like uh, it, intuition is the biggest one and that's historically you know been in every Kess deck because it's bonkers um, but there is you know added synergy with things like things like wheels or just ways of you know your cards winding up in the graveyard and um, And also just having, you know, the ability to double up on tutors means that, you know, making a lot of mana is potentially really good. Um, So, yeah, just buying back instants and sorceries is a virtual card advantage that very quickly turns into real card advantage, like cards in hand card advantage.
0: One thing, actually, I just was kind of thinking about this um, in our definition for engine that we should kind of make clear is that you can kind of... We we brought up um that there's it's advantage along an axis in terms of cards, mana, um, access to cards in your deck, like a toolbox. But people typically use the word engine to in, in a lot of um context, they'll say card advantage engine, mana engine, um, threat engine, and sometimes combo engine. And for this discussion, we're avoiding combo packages when in our discussion of engines. So this is just um primarily focused on the non-combo aspects of engines. So yeah. that's why we're so, not going to so, mention things like, you know, consult in casts, or, you know, come get Rod, Dakmor or yeah. whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. which I guess I should specify with intuition that obviously in many builds, it does function as a combo engine, but it is like where you, you know, you get like Unearth as Oracle and demonic consultation or whatever. Um, but often you can use it as like, you know, you tutor for the interaction to stop someone and then also bin cards that you plan to cast with the cast later, or like set up some some line like that. And also just casting it twice is is very very silly. Um, you can also bin something like a Yawgmoth's Will, uh, you know, and, like get LED Yawgmoth's Will and something else, and then just uh, you know play your entire graveyard type deal. So it you know it has it has a lot of uses in cast beyond being uses Incas as an engine beyond being a combo piece.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yep. Next up, we've got, you know, my favorite deck, Get Rog Monster. Um, the kind of, I think arguably one of the most obvious um, synergy-based, or sorry, yeah, synergy-based, package-based
1: um, engines in CDH. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have, like, you have... Cabal therapy naming Mana Drain in the command zone. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I um, don't even want to know. Um, but yeah, so Life from the Loam and Ramanap Excavator, I think, are the biggest, uh, most obvious engine pieces. Um, you know, we're we're going to discuss later on engines that don't involve um, the synergy with the commander, or, like that are more separate in the 99. Because Loam and Ramanap, obviously in the 99, but they have direct synergy with the commander and are really. At least these two cards are really only run because of that synergy with the commander, whereas there's other engine pieces in the deck um, that are run basically on a standalone basis, and, and we'll be discussing that in the next section. But, uh, yeah, moving on. Wait, are you saying yeah.
1: that your rug monster runs Sylvan Library? <laughs> Gasp. <laughs>
0: Maybe what a crazy take. Maybe.
2: So these next two I'm going to kind of consider similar for the sake of... Our list. So this is Kenrith and Thracios because under Kenrith we have the same things as Thracios, <laughs> which is uh, big dorks or really big sources of mana. So um, you can also consider Cradle in this regard, but also cost reduction type pieces. So Training Grounds, Zerda, Biomancer's Familiar. Uh, and then lastly, the biggest one, which is Seaborn Muse. Um, and that's because of. Um, once you can put enough mana into activating Thrasios and Kenrith, but also maintain, you know, your counter spells, then uh, that's an unstoppable engine in its own. But with Kenrith, uh, our last one also is uh, Phantasmal Image. Um, if anyone else wants to put a point yeah, on so, that, yeah. So,
1: so like this card has a lot of uses. Obviously, people would use it to assemble. If you can make eight treasures off a dockside, I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, <laughs> like it's not crazy um, if you can make eight treasures off a of dockside you can actually just uh, combo by using Kenrith to put try and put a counter on it it dies to the Phantasmal Image trigger you bring it back but you can also just turn it into like random useful things and then like reset it whenever it stops being useful like you just play it you copy like you know I mean you play it you copy someone's dockside great and then you like it makes six treasures, and then you kill it off, and then next turn you just bring it back and, like, copy Kess. And then, mm-hmm. like, like yeah. there's just a whole bunch of, like, really sort of silly things you can do with that card. Because Kenrith basically has the ability to both kill it and put it back into play uh, and let it copy something new each time.
0: Right on. So our next piece is, uh, you know, we mentioned Thrasios, and, you know, what's next up we got Timna. Um, And arguably, these two are the most, you know, quintessential engine commanders. So I I said Gitrog for, you know, maybe the most quintessential uh, package-based engine commander. But Thrasios and Timna, just two of the most powerful engines uh, in the command zone, each doing different things, but just, you know, overwhelming the opponent in advantage. So with Timna, we've got listed Loyal Apprentice, um, which is something that's only really sees play in, like, the... uh, well, obviously, the red based Timna deck. So, something like a uh, Timna Tana is usually a, a place where it, you'll see a Loyal Apprentice. But Loyal Apprentice, just play your commander, uh, poop out, you know, Flying Thopters. Uh, <laughs> pretty good with Timna. Um, some other things that, uh, some other uh, synergy pieces with Timna that, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> even Mind Sensor, I think, is one where with Opposition Agent now, even mind sensor is sometimes falling to the wayside, um, but just the fact that it flies and has that synergy with um, Timna, like including including flyers and and flying packages or evasive packages in your Timna decks, um, to really emphasize the Timna card advantage engine, is uh, you know pretty good, pretty good idea.
1: Yeah, Timna definitely synergizes with cards that are useful and happen to be evasive. Yeah.
2: Which is, for some reason, a thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: they just they just really love, like, stapling random keywords onto, like, their random, onto their hate bears. And and keywords
2: don't just directly compare, right? They're completely different <laughs> versions of evasion. Like, it's not just the most keywords wins. Ugh.
0: Okay. Next up, we've got, um, I think, perhaps the most standalone engine of the uh, commanders we've listed so far.
1: Wait, are you saying you don't uh, this is this is Krom and are you saying you don't play a bunch of cards that give your opponents more cards and more <laughs> mana so they feed your Krom? Oh my goodness. Come on. What are you doing? I mean, I'm playing
0: f- freaking Magus of the Vineyard and <laughs> all the uh, Maybe, okay, hey, wait, Vineyard. No. You know?
1: It all makes sense No, That's why Ludovic is so bad because it draws cards for your opponents but then they use those cards and feed your Krom. Mm, mm, mm.
0: Nice, nice,
1: nice. Yeah.
0: Um Matt you got you got this one
2: Sure uh next up we have Tavesh yes this is a CDH commander um and i guess it synergizes with or i guess it's an engine in the sense that it, it draws cards at you know a very an, under most conditions yeah <laughs>
1: yeah and, and i think it's also, it's also worth noting that like it's kind of a threat engine obviously somewhat commander dependent but like once it starts getting up to, you know, nine or ten loyalty, you can your op- opponents often feel forced to make like attacks that are somewhere between like bad and sus to to just like stop yeah. it from ulting and, and just generating like that that insane amount of burst value.
2: Yeah, um, exactly. There's they're they're sacrificing draws or treasures or, you know, what have you in order to deal with it.
1: So, it's definitely a bad bad feeling to have Timna in play and be like, I guess I have to attack Tavesh. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um I'm gonna I'm gonna actually pass this one off to Morgan because I think you you have the most experience with this So Anala, um, which is one I would typically not call an engine commander in C E D H in, in casual EDH for sure when you're just trying to get value off your wizards, but I want I wanna hear Morgan um your justification for Inala on this list.
1: I mean I think I think that like Many people build Enolodex in, in a way that they don't really generate much. Like, she's not really an engine. Um, sometimes they'll include like a couple cards just that that synergize with her um very well. So um, like for a long time, you know, like Snapcaster Mage um is a card that just like doubling up on on things like that is is very, very strong. Um and then while Archaeomancer and or Scholar of the Ages is like typically a combo piece, um, it's often something like doubling up on it can can get you out of like sort of the bad situations that you that you find yourself in uh, if you're like being interacted with a lot or stopped. So, like I think I think that there's some amount of value engine that's probably the correct amount to include in anala. When you're, it's not it's not a lot, and I probably include more than is is like optimal, but, um, and I, you know, I have some like pet cards in, in Anala, but I think that like, you know, a card like Snapcaster Mage, uh, is definitely, you know, very strong with Inala. I definitely (laughs) count it (laughs) as
0: as a value engine. If your combo cards are able to pull double duty as like value engine cards. And that's just kind of where you want to be when playing CDH generally. And like,
1: yeah, usually you try and win when you cast Spellseeker, but like, for example, I've, um, you know, sometimes I've been playing and it's like, well, there's a graph Digger's Cage or like Dranith Magistrate or whatever in play, so like and I and I don't have the mana to like properly set up, you know, bounce bounce that and then continue my spellseeker combo. Um so then you just actually just tutor for value pieces. Um I also I I d I don't think most people are on it, but I have just uh, dual caster mage has been just absolute nonsense with Ooh, with an like that. like
2: yeah that that sounds sweet
1: <laughs> um i mean it just like it just straight up combos with some of the flicker cards um but also just like yeah, double copying people's spells just gets very silly very quickly uh like you know someone casts like a finale of devastation and you're like well yeah let's go grab dockside and then we'll go grab spell seeker and <laughs> um so, yeah, it's very easy to, like, obviously you need to put in wizards that generate value for Anela to be a value engine, but she definitely is when you do.
0: Okay, next yeah. up, <laughs> this is kind of another Morgan. Sure, deck. <laughs> I mean this is this <laughs> kind of
2: kind of is another Morgan deck, uh, but I can start it off. I'm sure. So uh, next we got Hullen, uh, and our example card here is White Main Lion, uh, which I put down. Uh, maybe that's not the the exact card but uh... i think that
1: is actually that is probably the best card to list as a value engine because uh like shrieking drake is obviously better than white main line but shrieking drake is a card where like most of the time you're using it to combo whereas white main line is actually just like two mana um growth spiral with with buyback zero yeah <laughs> like um yeah yeah so th- th- that's like white main line is the card that m- you most just play it to generate value over time. And there have been uh, plenty of situations where it's like, okay, I don't think I can try and combo for one reason or another. You know, I think there's too much interaction. I don't want to expose the Shrieking Drake because if Shrieking Drake gets killed, that like turns off a lot of my combos. So it's like, well, I'll just tutor for White Main Lion. And then, you know, two turn cycles from now when I drew like, you know, six or seven cards extra over my opponents. Uh, you know, then I'll go for like a more protected win, and and also put a bunch of lands into play so I have the mana to back up my my win. I'll go for something protected. Um, but obviously, you know, Holland draws cards when you cast creatures, so that's uh, pretty quintessentially a value engine, yep. unless it's being a combo engine because you're actually just winning the game off of it.
2: And drawing more cards finds you more creatures, which either produce you more mana or draw you more cards. You know, yes. that's that's the nature of the engine. Um, it definitely has some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next one, I think, is also like pretty similar in the same regard to, to Holland and, and White Wayne Line, which is Elsha and Top, because, um, you know, with Elsha, you can play cards off the top of your library, and then Top fixes the top cards of your library, but also is playable off the top and draws cards. Um, and then, you know, just like Fimmage and Kenrith, it also has a combo. Um, Though a much more realistic combo. Like, <laughs> uh and you, like and, and like kind of surprised. I I am not, especially if there's an Elsha player at the table. <laughs> but yeah. Um
0: and then we've got uh Kaikar, obviously playing spells, making mana. Yeah. If you can... I didn't want
2: to say top twice, but <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah. And then uh if you're if you're able to I mean... uh,
1: like, I mean honestly I think the better synergy with Kickar is is like the future sight type effects. Like those are the ones that actually play nice with generating the free mana. Like top obviously synergizes when you get another piece, but like top and kickar alone is, is like pretty it is not like it doesn't generate much value beyond just like yeah, I guess you get a mana back. Um Skull Clamp
0: yeah. though, if you're uh
1: yeah, Clamp definitely generates value with Kickar. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there's there's lots of cards that generate value with Kickar. And
0: um, finally on the list, we've got Aminatu. Um, basically just a repeatable flicker effect, so things like Gilded Drake, um, and of course you're running other cards in Aminatu like Wishclaw Talisman uh, to really take advantage of the flicker and her unique flicker ability of returning, of being able to flicker cards you own and then getting them back, which is... Uh,
2: pretty dope yeah huge uh with gilded drake um Wishclaw talisman's a bit different i think because it just results in a win but with gilded drake it's quite de- quite degenerate
0: <laughs> gilded drake is quite degenerate yes <laughs> um yeah so that, that concludes our discussion of the engines in the command zone for cdh and now we're going to kind of get into the engines in the 99 so as we mentioned before we have this broken down into two categories, one of which is subdivided uh, further. So we've got the standalone um, that was, you know, friction arena. Then we've got synergy based, which is strategy based, like the planeswalkers, where it requires um, a particular strategy for the uh, effect to be realized or the engine to be realized. And then package based um, where it's focused on kind of like the internal card synergy. So we've broken it down. So first up, we've got uh, the standalone cards in CDH that are uh, engines and we kind of the cards that don't really require deck building considerations so you've kind of got a pretty big pretty big power pretty nice selection of cards here and uh yeah it's you've got necropotence sylvan library and risk study listed listed as examples and obviously this is not a complete list but these are some pretty uh pretty good ones Definitely to talk about outs, yeah
1: yeah i think i think carpet of flowers and would certainly be on there yep um we we discussed mystic remora you know it's obviously a little bit of a gray area because it like it has an expiration date on it often so then it's you know like
2: yeah but in i terms think of, it in also, terms of
1: the immediacy if it doesn't like continue to generate value
2: but i think it kind of performs in the opposite way that risk study does and so and and Strictly in regards to the engine, because it survives longer, or it's more effective in the end game, where risk City is less effective in the end game. But anyway, so uh, let's
0: let's yeah. kind of rekindle a bit of our discussion that we were having pre-show that was a bit contentious, on what really makes these cards fit into this category, because our kind of agreed agreed upon um, idea was that these cards are obviously providing value over time with the exception of, you know, Necropotence being in a bit of a gray area on that. Uh, Cause you can sort of fully realize the value of Necropotence and you are limited by your life total. So what really was interesting about these cards is that with the, ex- at least with the exception of Ristic Study, Civil Library Necropotence are cards that have like a base uh, value engine um kind of mode where they're just good enough and they're running to decks like Gitrog or whatever. But then um, to really kind of accentuate them a bit further, uh, there are decks that are run like, uh, I guess there's been a trend of people running Ikra recently. Um, so if you're providing some sort of big life gain, um, Necro Potent can be um, more fall into the traditional like long-term value engine. And then Sylvan Library is able to provide you um, that same consistent card advantage further into the game, and you're able to just like take eight every turn. Which, as you know, anyone who's played with Silver Library and CDH knows, like that's definitely not always gonna be. Uh, you're not gonna be able to, to be taking eight every turn uh, for the entire game. If uh, well, I mean, things are going no. long. If I
1: take eight every turn, that's still a maximum of like 24 damage, right? Because the game just ends. Oh, so. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you
2: do have a bruise in the command zone, you are gonna keep paying eight. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so there's there is a bit of uh, gray area on some of these cards where they they can become more um, strategy or synergy based um, depending on including other things. but at least the base mode of these cards is just a generic standalone value engine
1: and I think it's it's also probably important to note that with necropotence, um, many times necropotence's value is uh, immediately fully realized,
2: yeah with like final fortune
1: (laughs) (laughs) or or even just passing the turn but like you play necro you draw 30 you sculpt a disgusting hand and then you try and win on the next turn as opposed to you play necro you drop to 12 you discard down to seven and then next turn you draw another five cards that's yeah
2: it's not like 20 life formats uh where you actually do need to kind of spread it out and be smart about it (laughs)
0: um so next up we've got uh engines that require deck building considerations. So the one the previous one was does not, and this one does. And this is, again, our strategy, our strategy synergy category. So uh, here we have listed shoot, Dryad, Oceme Adversary and Dark Confidant. Um, so why don't you guys talk about uh, Adversary and Confidant first and I'll, I'll tackle Tenorshoot.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think that uh, both of these cards are just like they're, they're certainly a lot slower uh, than things like Sylvan Library and Ristic Study. Um, so they, you know, you, if you're playing, like, a very fast deck, uh, particularly one that doesn't have a lot of, like, creature-based synergies, you know, if you're not playing, like, Neoforms and things like that, uh, playing o Adversary is, is like, pretty underwhelming. You know, you're probably casting it on turn two. Um, if you're, and if your meta's fast, you know, there might be, not like if, if your meta's very fast there might not be that consistency on someone having like a dork or a carpet. Um so maybe you can't even cast it on turn two. And then you know if you play it and the game and your game is probably looking to end on turn four or five, like one in a green draw two cards is pretty underwhelming as as a magic card. Um and that's what happens if you play okay on turn 2 and then the game ends after your turn 4 um, which could be one of your opponent's turn 5s uh, so you you definitely want to be on a strategy where you know you're playing a decent amount of interaction or possibly some like sort of disruptive pieces um either like full on stacks or you know more like hate, hate bears that are either asymmetrical or like semi asymmetrical um
0: or you're, or you're trying to take advantage of the Body. Um like yeah, or Okaim you're trying to take advantage of the body Timna I mean, has that synergy. Yeah, if you're playing yeah. Timna, then you're drawing exactly, two yeah. cards
1: every turn from it. Um so that that sort of thing uh is is decks where you'd want to be seeing OKM adversary and like very all in fast decks definitely wouldn't want to be on it. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is kinda of the opposite of this next card, Dark Confidant, uh where you want to be sustaining the Dark Confidant value, um, but also not endanger your primary or er, you know one of your game plans which is ad nauseum so you are you know leaning towards that like low cmc yeah
0: i think the thing the thing with these like i they're basically friction arenas right like they're just two cmc friction arenas um
2: with a couple extra steps yeah, yeah. a
0: couple extra steps these these effects i think on the on the command zone that they'd always talk about how uh you know, they'd evaluate Frickson Arena versus Read the Bones, like I mentioned earlier. It is it is tough to, like, look at Dark Confidant um, and be like, should I be running just, like, Night's Whisper or Signed in Blood instead? And then when you start thinking about that, you're like, oh, God, am I really considering running those cards? And what what it kind of boils down to is that Dark Confidant is kind of like a hedge Um in some decks like if you're playing a storm deck that's more or less all in and you don't have value in the command zone sometimes it's nice to uh put in something like a dark confidant to allow you to have at least some game plan for when the game goes long and obviously there's some uh additional synergy provided by the 2-1 body in the form of like culling the weak and diabolic intent and whatnot you know more so than the uh knight's whisper and friends yeah
2: it's yeah it certainly depends on um what you Plan to, or what you expect to go up against like i think i i think we cut dark confident from dark Confidant from cheese rush right just based on yeah, the that sounds, game that sounds right Uh-oh.
0: yeah the scalability of dark Confidant is uh, and okay is not not that high uh which a lot of the discuss a lot of the uh value engines we were discussing previously uh they do scale pretty well um yeah so you know Next next on this list uh is Tendershoot Dryad, which is kind of this is this was the big debate that we were having pre-show, um, and which category to place it in. And really what it kind of boils down to is that Tender Shoot has as a standalone card, you're gonna play it um like in a complete vacuum, you can play this card, and it's gonna end the game um, you know, in a few turns just through the amount of you know onboard pressure that it's that it's just pooping out. And there's no real um, requirements to make that happen. Now, the reason why it falls into this category is that it has a kind of a glaring weakness, which is it does take multiple turns to close out the game, and it is 5 mana. So you do have to, you know, usually tap out for a turn in order to play it. Um, Unlike something like a Seedborn Muse where you play it and it's basically free. So, Tendrion Dryad usually dovetails really nice with stacks decks because that's really the only time where you see Tennis Druid is is in stacks, and that's because stacks has a it's it's effective at taking the game, um, and and controlling the game from the short to medium turn term, um, so you're you're let's say you play a rule of law, your your opponents have to find removal and there's sometimes a metagame around. Um, you know when is the appropriate time to remove the rule of law so that you know I'm able to win, but my opponents aren't able to win. I'm not king making, so it's able to stabilize things in that term. But people run value engines in CDH, so oftentimes you slam a rule of law, you will need to close the game because in the long term um, you're giving your opponents time to find answers, counterspell backup, and their combos. Right, so you need to have some way to close the game in the medium term, and that's kind of where tender shoot. Um, comes in, so you help stabilize the game and not lose the turn you played tender shoot, and allow yourself to survive those um, you know few turns it takes for tender shoot to close things out, um, and doesn't take you to the long game. And then you know they're they're covering each other's weaknesses, uh, which is why they see play together.
1: So t- to be clear, I didn't say <laughs> my position wasn't that uh, that tender shoot dryad uh, doesn't require some sort of like strategy based synergy um at the time we hadn't sort of separated the difference between card synergy and strategy synergy and so my argument was that like you don't you don't need like specific cards to to enable tender shoot you just need a deck that one way or another is going to not lose the game in the short to medium term yeah um and so the the middle ground on that is we went well okay that's a strategy synergy um, because it doesn't matter how you're accomplishing it versus a card synergy where you, you know, if, if, okay, or sorry, if Tender Shoot Dry had had like a, a clause where, you know, your opponents could just like tap six artifacts and kill it or whatever, then it would be like, okay, well then you need Null Rod or whatever, like, you know. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, well, um, one thing
0: you can notice is that if you look at the cards in the category of just standalone and compare them to the strategy synergy cards, is they're really kind of the same? The only thing that's differentiating them is uh, mana cost where it's like a card is standalone if it's um, if it's, I guess, efficient or like more or less good enough to play. Right?
1: Like Yeah, if, it, if it's efficient enough that you don't need you don't need a deck that one way or another is creating favorable conditions for it.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, and then I think the most yeah, well, the most interesting um, standalone engines are not standalone, sorry, the most interesting engines um, that aren't either standalone or strategy based are the card synergy based uh, engines that are going to be found in the 99 of the deck, not with the command zone. So here we have Neoform, uh, Eldritch Evolution, Natural Order, which is kind of weird that we would talk about, you know, because it's you're supposed to realize the value over time, so we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Birthing Pod, which is kind of in line with those, but, you know, it's its own separate thing. And then uh, Yisan, you're noticing a bit of a trend here. <laughs> Seedborn Muse and Smothering Tithe. So, Matt, why don't you, why don't you cover the... Uh, <coughs> the Neo Evo Natural Order as someone who's played uh, messed around with some of those cards.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so th- the deck is designed to have, um, you know, live hits on all of your CMCs based on, uh, um, you know, the CMCs of your commander. So you're going to have your three slot because you're on Thrasios. Um, you know, in some builds, you're on Bruised Tile, so you'll have your five slot, like seaborn Muse. Uh, but also, you kind of go up the chain because each of your targets um, help you hit your next tutor. So like your next Neoform or your next evolution or your next natural order.
0: Yeah. Um, A lot of... The thing with Neoform is that a lot of the decks don't, don't necessarily require that much deck building consideration because a lot of the good cards that you want to hit are kind of just already there and they form like a natural curve and they're cards that you'd be running anyway so like you've got yeah. hall Breacher, th- opposition agent at three uh you've got uh, you know if you're gonna neoform a dork you've got uh Gilded drake Thassa's oracle
2: um yeah. <laughs> i think you can, i mean it kind of just stops at that's Thassa's oracle right because <laughs> like you can go from one cmc to win very yeah. quickly with neoform
1: well sure but like i'm i'm definitely not above uh neoforming a dork into a dranith, right yeah that's... yeah
2: definitely yeah for sure um and, totally agreed
1: and so so
0: there's it's a bit gets a bit muddled muddled there but when you have to put a bit more consideration into your curve and what you're running to make sure you're hitting so like if you if you're running neoform um and like let's say you're playing a Thrasios timid deck that's a bit uh you know slower so so maybe it's like a Razaketh stack, or maybe it's like some kind of like hybrid um CST list that's you know a bit slower like you can consider putting things in at 4 to uh neoform your timna into like you know, obviously there's notion thief but i've seen people run linvala um to some you know reasonable amount of success and you're kind of able to run those cards and you're you're kind of considering those cards in the context of the cmcs of neoform and uh, Natural Order was also on this list. Um, typically in the Thrasios decks, Natural Order is just a Seedborn Muse, an additional copy of Seedborn Muse. Um, but I've, I've messed around with Natural Order um, outside of Thrasios. Uh, I was messing around with it in my uh, Tana Timna um, deck. And it kind of fits as a engine piece as an additional copy of... Um, you know, something like a Tendershoot Dryad. Like, you can't run, like, natural order is generally not good enough to run on your own unless you're, like, doing Hulk or something like that. So, you really need to be, have, it like, a mini package of things to put with your natural order in order for it to really be, like, a natural order engine. Um, but, yeah, that one's, that one is still a bit uh, dicey without the Seaborn Muse Thrasios kind of thing going on. Not, not, not completely sold on it yet in the decks I've been testing it in.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, surprise Archon is definitely spooky. Yeah,
0: the the our, I've been I've been Archon is kind of my go-to target over, uh, uh, not not going for for tender shoot that much, but yeah, getting an Archon down on instance, pretty pretty hype. Um, yeah. So
1: next up we've got especially when you then been a Razaketh for me.
0: <laughs> uh, next up we've got no. birthing pod. Um, so Morgan, you want to discuss why uh, Pod isn't just a a combo piece?
1: uh sure yeah so i mean obviously uh most decks that are playing pod are playing uh some sort of combo line with it usually like the velidar karmic kiki uh line but this is also a card that like you can use to uh you know upgrade your dorks into hate pieces or turn not so great hate pieces into better hate pieces um or, you know, use like you can pod things into Eternal Witness or, um, you know, even things like Reclamation Sage, uh, where, where essentially, or, um, oh, what's the the new, um, Sky something? The, 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 the like Fiend Artisan, but, but better. I'm blanking on the name. Fiend um, Artisan, but better? Like the, the uh, enters the battlefield to exile something with CMC for Oh, Skyclave Apparition. Oh, Skyclave Sky Apparition. That's not really a yeah. Fiend Artisan
0: as confused. I mean,
1: Okay, sure. <laughs> it enters and it exiles something, and then when it leaves, they...
0: anyway Oh, what am I thinking? Uh, okay, no, you're, you're right. Fiend Artisan. I was thinking of... Uh, <laughs> what's that stupid card that for the hybrid black-green, black-green? That's what I thought you were thinking. Uh,
2: Fiend Artisan? Yeah, Fiend Artisan.
1: Um, yeah, no. Uh, Skyclave Apparition, or like things like that, where essentially you have this, this toolbox package, and first of all, Pod is... It's letting you cheat on mana costs, right? Because like when you sacrifice a 3-drop, you put a 4-drop into play, and you usually paid 1 mana and 2 life to do that. Um, and then also it's giving you access to your entire deck, uh, so you're finding specifically the cards you need rather than, uh, you know, sort of raw card advantage. Um, and it lets you, you know, in situations where you don't think you can go for a win, either, you know, you drew a piece or... You think people have interaction and will stop if you actually try and win. Um, you can, yeah, you can get all sorts of stuff. You can get Dranith, You can get Darkside. You can get, you know, Eternal Windows or Skyfave Evaporation Opposition Agents. Uh, I mean, you could get Collector Roof, Probably don't want to get Collector Roof, <laughs> You get uh, Archon of Emiria. Like, uh, you just have sort of a huge range of options uh, that are potentially very useful.
2: I think uh, one more thing to mention with Pod. Um, Another case I mean is finding something like Karmic Guide where you can bring back bodies and that ultimately result in having access to more CMC. So Pod um, is an engine in that sense because it it doesn't- you start with a particular CMC but then you actually get a variety of CMCs uh, down the line if you choose to make that decision. Though, you know, maybe not uh, CDH play but certainly uh, other formats.
0: Pod is a card that I think- (laughs) most people look at primarily as a combo piece, but I think does not it doesn't really make the cut as a combo piece alone, and you really need to consider it and and change your deck to unlock the engine ability of Pod in order to really make it a CDH playable card in my opinion.
1: Pod just makes me sad because it's a great combo piece in decks that desperately want to play Collector roof Nuller out of Stokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every,
2: t- every time, and every time. Yeah. That's
0: why I don't play Blood Pod and instead play Razaketh.
1: <laughs>
2: Wait, but... Raspberry Jam. Yeah. Are you sure you
1: don't play Blood Pod? Uh, Reed is so the only... So next okay, card... I, Reed's
0: not here to defend himself, but Reed's the only one who is playing his <laughs> Blood, Blood Moon and Birthing Pod in his not Blood Pod deck. I run none of those cards. You know, people keep harassing me with this stupid Blood Pod.
1: Blood Pod. I claim. really do want to keep harassing
0: you, like <laughs> you and the entire Git Rock server, man. It's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Next up, we've got uh, Yasan, which in the Command Zone, it's an engine. It's a combo engine. It's, it's a value engine. A it's a toolbox. <laughs> like it just kind of does. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I feel like in the Command Zone, it's a it's a combo engine primarily. Yeah. That like that has like. You you fit like one piece of value or access into it along the way. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> kind of
0: like it's like it's like pod, like everything we just talked about with pod. It's like primarily it's a combo engine. You're not usually running pod in these uh, uh, hate bears kind of decks for toolboxing because it's just not too efficient um and sacking your creatures isn't always great. But if it's a combo engine, um, that can back up as a value engine or a toolbox, that's pretty nice. And that's Yesan in the command zone. But in the ninety nine is kind of interesting and, and that's something that we haven't been seeing so much lately. Um I know Morgan, I think you've done some Yesan in the ninety nine stuff, right? Shh, don't tell anyone <laughs>
1: <laughs> Um Yeah, I mean obviously it it uh it gives you access to cards that you need be those hate bears or combo pieces like just as a tutor um you know finding one of your combo pieces it's also very good at protecting stuff so you can find you know like your grand abolishers or your ranger captains it also I mean it theoretically has a built in combo that I think most people don't run um where if you have white in the deck you combo uh on verse 3 with uh and and mirror entity yeah Turns out Yissan uh, with,
0: with more than just green is pretty good.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> green white Yassan. Yes please. I just want to be able to get Restoration Angel, you know? That's
0: That's what um, you want? That's what you want, man. I want all the stats man. <laughs> yeah, because no, because
2: that's the because best part about add, pod is that you no, can reset it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not
1: like it's you don't like run through and then get to four and be like, well, I and guess it's, I don't Yison have...
2: is like just wet bread Dude, that's, that's why Yisan <laughs> yes.
0: runs that's why monogreen Yisan runs a
1: woodland bellower so that you can get back down to three <laughs> yeah um but yeah so so obviously you know many of these cards uh double as as combo engines and Yisan certainly falls in that category depending on the deck but i mean it's pretty much directly both card and access advantage um so as long as you don't directly win the game off cards it finds you I suppose that uh, makes it a value engine
0: and then yeah. our uh, final two kind of similar in many ways we've got Seedborn Muse and Smothering Tithe so we've already talked about Seedborn Muse and you know how it fits in with Thrasios and stuff As an it is kind of a standalone mana engine but that really isn't good enough to make the cut in CDH you really need something to unlock the card advantage engine aspect of Seedborn Muse, and it's really it really comes alive as an engine when you're including it with things like Thrasios and you're building your deck with you know interaction, and you want to be holding your mana up. It's uh, that's yeah. really when it shines.
2: But I, yeah, I would, I would even say that it, do, it doesn't just uh, work well strictly with Thrasios. You do need to have those big mana. Um, type uh cards because uh Seaborn Muse does not protect itself and it does need to survive long enough uh you know to result in a win yeah. and it is very fragile.
1: Yeah. And I think I think it's it's a something that's often underestimated with Seaborn Muse like I've I've seen a bunch of people essentially say like oh well, you know, Seedborn Muse plus Thrasios is basically like at the start of your next turn draw 10 cards or like things like that like they they phrase it just in terms of like you're going to activate Thrasios twice a turn and you're going to draw a disgusting amount of cards. And, like, obviously, that's hugely impactful, but I think that that kind of undersells it um, because of the insane flexibility of being able to do other things with the mana, right? Like, yeah, sometimes you just activate Thrasios twice on everyone's turn, um, but, like, one of those turns, you actually, uh, you activate a Thrasios only once and then you cast two pieces of interaction, And then, like, you know, one of those turns, uh, you hit a vamp tutor, so you, like, you cast that, you also cast a piece of interaction, and then you Thrasios the card you vamped into your hand or uh, whatever. And, like, Seedborn Muse, you know, like, I I think in a world where there was, like, a, I don't know, a green-red commander that just had, like, a mana sink ability on it, I think Seedborn Muse is a lot less good in that deck. Than it is in a Thrasios deck with like a bunch of counter
2: spells and, and instant speed interaction mm-hmm. um, and which, this might which, sound like kind of a silly point but you do need to put real counter spells in your seaboard deck like <laughs> you can't just put dispels and swan songs like you need like counter spell uh mana drain you know delay, delay yeah. if i'm like being completely honest uh definitely replaces lots of even like cards like Negate, because you do need to protect it. Gilded Drake it does just die to Gilded Drake. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't love well, Guilded yeah, Drake? It's even worse than just removal when it's Gilded Drake. It's, it's quite devastating.
0: Okay, one of you tell me why Smothering Tithe is on this list, but we don't see uh, Notion Thief or, or Hull Breacher. I thought these were all the same kind of wheel cards. Someone explain why Smothering Tithe
1: is an engine card, unlike the others. Because smothering tithe interacts with your opponent's draw steps. Is that it? Is that really is, it? Uh, pretty, pretty much. Because what that <laughs> means is that uh, if you play smothering tithe, um, like when you play notion thief, if you don't have anything that works with it, um, it does not generate any value. It's a, it's a hate bear essentially that that says your opponents can't draw mm-hmm. more than one card a turn. Um, but it doesn't actually generate you anything barring like a few corner case interactions like like crom triggers are are mandatory um but with smothering tithe when you play it because your opponents are forced essentially to draw one card a turn um you like th- you will get treasures you like unless you know they are paying endlessly for some reason um and the other thing is that uh, because it doesn't prevent your opponents from drawing cards the way, like, a Hull Breacher or an Ocean Thief does, um, your opponents, like, still will actually draw cards, and then you will generate value from from Smothering Tithe. Like, if you tap out for Smothering Tithe and and don't do anything else, you almost always untap with some treasures, and that's not at all true with, with something like Hull Breacher.
0: So I think that concludes the listing value engines portion of this episode. Because <laughs> for the last bit, it was basically just listing value engines. Yeah. And you won't discussion. believe
1: number seven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and now we're on to the more discussion aspect. Uh, so, so some discussion and, and questions that, that, you know, we're going to discuss and ask each other, but I want to I kick things off with something that I just thought of that's not on this list, what? which is, <laughs> is Soul Ring a value engine?
2: Oh my god. Okay. Deep
0: think, deep talk man on this one. Uh,
2: are we are we at gut check yet? No Sorry? I I said are we at gut check yet? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a dangerous path towards a single large category called magic cards. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh yeah, Silvering is not is not uh is not an engine.
1: Yeah, neither are like manodors. Neither are cards that become permanents that just tap for mana.
0: So what, what's the key distinction between let's, because you said that even if you're not so if you're making a uh, a treasure in each opponent's draw step from Smothering Tithe it it makes it a value engine, right? As opposed to something like Hull Breacher. So then why wouldn't something like a Thran Dynamo be a value engine? And that's what kind of led me to Soul Ring. Um,
1: because with thran dynamo you like you it doesn't accrue anything over time th- it lets you cast me, yeah. spells themselves that that have value but if you have a thran dynamo in play for 10 turns and you never do anything with it um that's not you you haven't accrued any value whereas if you never crack a treasure on smothering tide you Eventually, wind up with a giant stack of treasures that you can feed into into something else that you presumably put in your deck at some point. So, like, then assuming
0: it, something like um Awakening Zone, right? The one that makes Eldrazi. God, there's two of them there's like Awakening Zone, and then there's like From Beyond. One of them makes yeah. Scions, one of them makes whatever, Spawn, just Spawns. Yeah,
2: oh, Spawns. Yeah, so those are
1: value engines. They're just yeah, I was gonna bad. say, assuming
0: you're not interacting with the bodies like with the skull clamp or something then those would meet the the definition of a value engine because they're accruing the mana over time, even though, um, on a turn by turn basis, soul ring would provide more mana.
1: Remember that time where I said we could just sit around and move forward, shuffle words around. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I I feel like I disagree. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that fundamentally like a permanent that just taps for mana, uh, has like a very immediate use it or lose it. Uh, thing where you you can't accrue value over time without like casting spells that are the things that are actually generating value um
2: that being said soaring with crufix. Wow. yeah
1: yeah that 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 works. that's an engine i mean yeah crufix is certainly a mana advantage engine i, I would <laughs> never deny that yeah so then it,
0: it it does it does bring up some interesting points about whether or not um like Seedborn Muse because you're not technically, unless you have something to use it with, you're not able to convert that into uh, something that accrues or um, uh, Carpet of actually, Flowers.
1: Think, yeah, that's what I was about to say. That that actually, like thinking about this definition, maybe like I mentioned Carpet of Flowers earlier, maybe I don't actually consider that a value engine just because it's like it's essentially just a permanent that taps for mana at a restrictive time.
2: Nice. Nice. I mean, I'm glad it, we it, it could kind uh, of it does tap from more meta over time.
1: That Ooh, is uh, that yes. is fair.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. Next up, we have are engines good, which I feel like is a weird question. It's almost like a non-question because it depends on the engine, right? It feels like engines are basically it's like is you is, a, is just the body of a car a car no, a car needs an engine in order to be a car, right? It needs to be able to, to, to go somewhere. So a, a deck, lots of decks really need, not all decks need engines. You know, you look at like Mono Red Burn or something in uh, 60 card. doesn't have an engine, but... His Eidolon of the Great <laughs> Riffle <reveled> and engine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, but... It, dude, is a 2-2 attacker? Is Goblin of an engine? Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's a card draw engine for your opponent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so in 60 card, I think the requirement of an engine is, is less so. But EDH really is an engine centered format. Not just CDH, but EDH as a whole. Um, the core definition of what I think makes a deck. Uh, Mid power or above is playing engines and maximizing synergies between the cards in your deck. Um, what people usually call like non engine based decks is like Battle Cruiser, right? That's kind of where you're just playing um, big, you know, stompy threats, um, big, you know, strong splashy cards. And that's not really uh, engine or synergy based, but you know mid-power and above, which is where I think most people fall in EDH is generally around mid-power. Um, yeah, very, very engine-focused. I, engine I focused.
1: actually don't think that's right, but... Uh...
0: Okay, well, let's not let's let's not get too deep into that, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say that engines are good, and it's kind of... I think, like, Linden <laughs> alluded to it a bit, where it's strictly because the definition of it is, you know, it, they're cards that are better than the sum of their parts right yeah like if it, it is, is an engine it's because you've uh inherently in the definition you know uh tagged it as just being a better you know outcome
1: so, so i guess yeah, engines like, are good like i guess I'll, I'll disagree somewhat i think like obviously sort of the standalone engines like these just like absolutely you know broken in half cards Necropotence, Ristic Study, yeah, like obviously those cards are good, I'm not gonna say that they're not good, um, but really I think sort of the more interesting focus of a discussion is, like, in CEDH, is the meta in a place where putting together, like, a package of cards where you're looking to assemble usually multiple of them at once, uh, and don't sort of immediately win you the game. Like, is that something you can essentially afford to be doing? Right, like, the win conditions yeah. are are just so strong and so good. Like, Oracle Consult is so easy that, you know, it's an interesting question of, like, do you really want to be tutoring for Priest of Titania to, you know, so you can activate your Thrasios a bunch of extra times, you know, over the course of the next three turns, when, like, almost every tutor that finds you Priest finds you Oracle, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just need to find Tanger Packer Demonic Consultation and you're golden.
2: So so oh. I think a, a good example though of, of a card that um does kind of make the cut is is Neoform, because it is like part of it, it. it can be included in an engine, but it does have that like very competitive base case and it is like seen in multiple competitive decks.
1: Yeah it, it almost it almost seems that like what we're what we're seeing now is like there are obviously engines in the command zone. Those still see a lot of play, but in terms of engines in the '99, we're trending towards the engines that most easily pivot to being things other than engines. Yeah. are the ones that are still yeah. Still yeah seeing I think the play. meta is like,
2: faster, and I think like a lot of these like the kind of central theme on a lot of these engines is just game actions, and there are just fewer game actions.
0: Yeah, I think one one thing that kind of i was thinking about engines and the analogy to cars is that if a kind of base deck is just a like a steady speed like a, like if you if you play some kind of you know generic tutu and you're just attacking over and over again you're or you're drawing a card every turn there's like a consistent speed consistent velocity whereas an engine that's like truly scalable um, and that we, we didn't really get into this about engines that scale versus um you know engines that are you know consistent so like a friction arena is just a you're increasing your speed a bit you're instead of going you know 10 miles per hour for our american friends or you know whatever kilometers for uh, per hour um you're, you're you're increasing it up to like you know 20 but you're, you're not you're not really going you're not accelerating so engines that scale what i i would say are like the Analogy to Acceleration. And there are some engines, um, I think Seedborn Muse is kind of a, a good one, where you're, and Seedborn Muse Thrasios, where you're activating Thrassios, and if you're getting more lands and more cards, you're, you're able to play more big mana sources and kind of feed into it, and just keep gassing up the fire. So the amount of cards you're drawing per turn is going to be increasing turn over turn. Um, those kinds of engines, I think, are... Typically, pretty strong in CDH, but it's only strong if people will should only be including these kinds of engines if you're trying to win a longer game. So you might include something like a Seedborn Muse in as a hedge if you're trying to be able to win that long game, or you're you're trying to take it long and trying to win that. Like that's that's where they're going to shine. Because um, at base, you know, everything could just be if there was no value engines at all. It really could just be you know race to the consult, race race to the the consult, race to the breach combo, race race to the ad nauseum, which you know many decks have shown at least in the current meta that that's a, a viable viable strategy. But sometimes there's a stalemate that happens, right? Sometimes people have their interaction um, such protection, or sometimes there's a stacks of, stacks effect, and there's a bit of like a Mexican standoff going on where you know no one's really going to go for it because they're gonna get countered and the next person is gonna win. Um, so having a, a piece that you can play that's going to accrue you val- value over time and ideally um, at an accelerating pace, uh, is going to help you, you know, take that extra leap in win percentage, uh, and, and allow you to, to win those games that you wouldn't otherwise be able to because. <laughs> I was going to say something about like how people do threat assessment and what to counter. Um, but there's, there's kind of like on the, on the threat of should I counter the spell of fast Oracle console? You have to counter that or you're going to lose. There's a, you don't, you don't have to counter a seedborne muse because it doesn't immediately lose you the game, but like realistically you're going to lose the game. Um, if you just let a Seedborn muse stick around. So that, that, brief little knockdown in having to counter a spell, and if you you could go down the chain, down to like, you know, literally a Phyrexian arena, right? Those kinds of things are what's really going to allow you to um, break those kinds of locks. Um, Yeah, so I think think in summary, I think engines are good, but you need to be uh, judicious in which engines you're selecting. Uh, Maybe having like a minimum effective engine package, and um, yeah, I guess doing it in the right deck and understanding when is the right time um, to deploy such an engine.
1: Yeah, so basically, just be good.
0: You know. Yeah, I think that's our entire yeah. podcast. We can kind if of just sum, sum up, up all of our episodes <laughs> with "just be good." You know.
2: <laughs> every every card is a magic card, and you just have to be good. Mm-hmm.
0: Does that, um, anyone have anything to say about what I what I was saying? Or
2: yeah, I, uh, I was gonna just say like I think that was a really great kind of overall kind of conclusion. Like, I think you addressed a lot of really good points with that. Awesome.
0: So I think that, yeah, that covers our engines. Good. I feel like that's we discussed is the meta engine focused like
1: less. Yeah. So I now. Guess, yeah. Yeah. I do. have. I do have sort of, I, I think I've seen the, the meta's like, it's almost divided. It's like a, um, a trimodal distribution where like there's uh there's games where it's just too fast for engines to really get online and make a difference um then there's the sort of mid rangey games which are absolutely engine focused like the the fast decks sort of peter out and then like oh look this person has like a thrasios that they're activating uh and they're just like out drawing the table and eventually they're going to convert that into a win Or, you know, some other, like, the person with the Rhystic study drew a bunch of cards, when everyone was trying to win early on, and then they were ahead. Um, And then, so so those ones are obviously engine-focused. And then there's the games uh, which are focused around the lack of engines. uh, Which is where, you know, like, someone plays some stacks, and then the fast decks can't win, and none of them have engines, and you all just kind of sit there passing in turn order and you're like uh, okay there's like overlapping hate it's really hard for me to go off i also don't want to remove the hate because then somebody else might go off and then yeah. like
2: and can i the, just bring up the fact that that is so easy to do with opposition agent and yeah Hell preacher and it's so easy to do that now
1: yeah and like and like drannith magistrate as well drannith, yeah it's yeah. just like oh someone just slams a drannith magistrate and then like they don't you know, for whatever reason, they don't have a good way of drawing cards, and then everyone's like, "Well, I guess here we are." <laughs> Sometimes happens on in like dranith two mirrors. at
2: least two of those three cards, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like two draniths in play. It's and, like and one then, player, one know,
0: player, the Thrashers Timna player plays a dranith, and then some other like Timna player plays a dranith or something, and it's like, or just someone else plays a dranith. is like, well, I can't break parity anymore because my Timna <laughs> Thrashers finger gets stuck in yeah. the mid zone. <laughs>
2: There should yeah. be a special rule where you just remove them all at once. Yeah, like, yeah. it's
1: like the, the the old legendary rule where like having two in the same name means they're both sacrificed, no matter who controls them. There's a
0: special rule called Run Toxic Deluge that I think everyone has forgotten. <laughs> should remove every yeah. stacks piece all at once and let the game actually continue. Too bad, it costs continue. a card and three mana. You know,
2: yeah. Too bad.
0: Um, so then, next question we had is: When should you put engines in your deck? I think I kind of answer that with when you're when you want to try and <laughs> when win the right, uh... when you want to try and win the late game because um, if you look at the uh, the CDH metagame report where it's broken down on the average um, turn that the game ends on, like. There is a lot of the games that end really quickly where the engines like if you have just a completely engine-based deck where you're just not going to win because your engine doesn't have enough time to accrue value compared to the other decks. But if you're there's a significant portion of the games that do go long. And you know, if you if you stick an early engine and you're just, you know, accruing value, that's you're you're favored in those games. So, you really I think I think the best answer is your deck should probably have some kind of Engine backup plan, to um, to to fall back on because you really should just be hedging your strategies a bit, right? Have some way to, to give yourself wins in the long game, and then don't be all in on the long game. Um, otherwise you're just gonna lose to the turbo decks. So uh, build a have a have a balanced, balanced EDH
2: deck diet, <laughs> and that can be as easy as putting a neoform in your deck. Yeah, you know? that easy.
0: I mean, yeah, just I guess a lot of the Thrasios Timna decks are kind of. If you're running Thrasios and Timna, you, your backup plan is in the command zone, so <laughs> you don't really need to devote 99. Yeah, kind of slons. conquered the yeah.
2: late game and the early game.
0: Um, and finally, we have how to select an engine and what type.
2: Um, why don't you, one of you guys, handle this one? Probably just the best engine in your colors. No, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's a I think that's again like a meta um type discussion, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think the like, best type of engines to look for are ones that are obviously standalone, when those should already all be in your deck usually. Sylvan library for yeah. study, necropotence. You, you,
2: yeah. yeah, you also do want to have the best engine um in, like the the engine that goes the latest. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> There's a weird meta group. game around that, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh which Is definitely easier said than done because not all engines go late, or some engines do go late, and but have significant deck building requirements, Um, like dropping black.
1: Yeah, I I think the the other thing that like is important to you know like you you need to look at um particularly your access to these engines. So if you're going and putting in um you know you're putting in a whole bunch of pieces that synergize with like Yissan, and you're like, okay, I'm going to play Yissan. First of all, you you then need to look like, okay, well, now I have this curve for Yissan. You know, how does this fit with, uh, you know, things like, am I also going to play the Neoform, Eldritch Evolution, potentially Natural Order stuff? Um, But also, like, is my deck a deck that's reasonably going to be accessing Yissan a lot? Because if I'm putting, you know, like, let's say I'm putting um, Sylvan Safekeeper. Keeper in the deck and I wanna, you know, I can get it with Yasan and use it to protect stuff, or, or whatever the the card is, or you know, I'm putting in, like, Quirin Ranger or Wirewood Symbio to untap Yasan. Like, if that card's not good in your deck, and you're, like, not doing something to get Yasan into play consistently, then, you know, you're, you're definitely setting yourself up for failure, because a bunch of the time you're gonna draw, like, you're gonna draw a wirewood symbiote and be like I don't have any elves or like I have have exactly like priest of titania that I don't want to bounce um so you know you need to, you need to figure out like how consistently are you actually going to be be able to realize the full value of your engine and then balance that against what are the costs of including that engine in your deck
0: yeah i think the optimal engine is one that's um accessible and uh, not slot intensive. So a good example I think is uh, Gitrog Monster. So in Gitrog, sometimes new players will ask, why don't you run Crucible of Worlds? I already see you running Ramanap Excavator. And the thing is that when you add in, when you go from, let's say no Crucible, no Ramunap Excavator, when you put in Ramanap Excavator, you're really getting like 10 copies of the card. Right, because you're getting Ramanap and you're getting Worldly Tutor and like all of these tutors that can then find Ramanap as the value engine just makes it such an accessible card. Um, that you're gonna be able to find it if you if you want it. Um and then it's just doesn't require extra slots, right? Like it just slots directly into the deck with all the fetch lands and value lands you're already running. Um, so it doesn't require anything additional. So that's that's kind of like the optimal sort of thing you're looking at. So with neoform again, you don't necessarily need to change up your entire Neoform uh, your entire deck to conform to Neoform if you're already running a bunch of like the good cards that you would already want to be running so that's kind of like the optimal engine um, at least in the meta as is I think um, yeah anything nice. anyone have anything else to say about engines before we move on,
2: vroom, vroom.
1: Right
0: on.
2: <laughs> I don't know about, I don't know much about cars but I do know about engines <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, so <laughs> time for everyone's favorite segment, Gut
0: Check! Gut Check! Gut Check. <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. Okay. You're welcome. So this week's Gut Check um, is what is your favorite deck of all time? So I'm letting you give one, you get to say one EDH deck, one CEDH deck, one card one deck in 60 card and you're allowed one
2: honorable mention <laughs> what oh my god <laughs> you don't oh, have to take the honorable man. mention but yeah so well let's, let's hear it. cedh deck edh deck other format and then honorable mention
0: uh edh cdh 60 card and an honorable mention if you want
2: oh man
1: uh okay uh, my favorite 60-card deck, I'll, I'll start with that one because I figured that one out the fastest, um, is, uh, Legacy Nickfit. I just, I really enjoy, like... What is Nickfit? Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, like, mid-rangey value deck built around, uh, Cabal Therapy and Veteran Explorer, um, it preys on the fact that no one's playing, or at the basics? time, like no <laughs> yeah, one's playing time, basics. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you, you get you get like, f- you know, you search out four basics, and your opponent like you have two veteran explorers die. Search out four basics. Your opponent searches out two, and then they don't have any basics left. Um, it's historically leveraged. It's it's been kind of like uh, it's been kind of like a pod in certain ways. Like it had some toolboxy cards. Um, it's played. Uh, cards like recurring nightmare which is just a sweet card um it it feels a little bit like like cocoa decks sometimes and it's just like at the intersection of a lot of other really cool archetypes and punishes people for playing greedy mana bases which is like you know something i i greatly enjoy so
0: let, let's do nice. uh, everyone's 60 favorite 60 card first. So I'll do mine. My favorite 60 card deck which is going to I think is kind of funny compared to my other favorites and and you'll see why is uh legacy list dredge. And my, I think it's just <laughs> what? It's so weird. At least okay. It used to be it used to be kind of unique and weird. Not so much anymore with all the uh DFC the like yeah, yeah, with the, uh, balustrade spy
1: and and uh, whatever the I heck mean, it's is, called, isn't that just kind of a different deck? Like oops, all spells is not the same thing. It's as it's Strategy not, but they're ability. kind yeah. of doing
0: similar, like, not playing. Oh, the reason I like manila stretch is because it it doesn't play like magic, right? It it's really just putting together a bunch of cards, and just completely warping the game, um, into something else. Like you're. It's just so strange. Like the entirety of Magic is built upon playing paying mana for spells, right? And then you're just you're you're missing your draw <laughs> step. You're not doing your draw step anymore. You're putting everything in the graveyard. Things are coming into play for free. You're um it's got like combo uh combo aspects and obviously uh you can reanimate like a uh, Whirlpool Drake or something Draw a bunch of cards And replace those with dredges And just mill your entire deck uh, The deck used to run um, Balustrade Spy to do that um, But, you know If you're doing Whirlpool Drake Then you can uh, Pitch that to Force of Will If you want free interaction Like there's just It, and it Interacts with hands With there. It just does It does everything Or does many things of That normal magic decks do But without paying mana um, It's just very strange and cool I, I'm a big fan um, yeah.
2: Matt, do you have yeah, a... Yeah, it is very unique. 60
0: card. Oh, yeah, I'm I like, just, uh, I'm actually, have a toss-up. I was going to say, the, the reason why I thought it was similar to the Oopsal spells is because Oopsal spells is also kind of like breaking what Magic was supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah. Uh, they, they do it in different ways. Uh, go ahead, Matt.
2: Um. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so the deck that I enjoyed... M- to play the most in sixty cards was probably blue white Tron and Modern because it had such like at least at the time that I was playing it I had such a I, I kind of had the most understanding in regards to like the game plan versus different matchups as well as how to cyborg and I, that deck felt the most complete at the time to me because because of that fact it was it was very like it was like a well oiled machine in that regard and it plays out you know very like you know how it plays out in the early game in the mid game and the late game. But I think like honestly though the deck that really truly does that the best that actually wins games is death and taxes mm. and probably legacy death death and taxes for that matter. So I I probably have to say that that's my favorite 60 card deck even though it's not necessarily a single deck.
0: Okie dokie. On to, let's do our, our favorite EDH deck um, next. So I was thinking about this. I think my favorite EDH deck is my Safi Hidden Commander, Amiria the Skyrim deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that deck. Um, I, as well, well I, I pointed out, so my, I think my CDH deck and my honorable mention deck are going to be lands based decks. And I thought the reason why I said it's gonna be a bit funny that my first sixty card deck was a deck <laughs> that ran landless. no less. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Um but I I just love lands and Amiria and interacting with the graveyard. One of my favorite things to do. Lands and graveyard stuff, um, and just like toolboxy decks. It kind of incorporates all of that into one and it's my favorite deck for that reason.
1: I find it very nice. funny that uh you like have such a thing for lands when you Came from Yu-Gi-Oh, and like Lands is the type that the most doesn't have an analog in, in Yu-Gi-Oh. But in many ways, that maybe that's why I like it the most, you know,
0: because I just that was something content. I was missing, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh my god, Lands are great. Oh wait, a
1: resource system? <laughs> yeah. Oh whoa, what's this?
0: What? Okay, Morgan, what's your favorite EDH deck?
1: Oh man, I. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a that's a tough one. Um I think
3: hmm.
1: Played so many EDH decks and played against so many EDH decks. Um Dude, everyone who's ever played Angry On Math. Uh, I'm just think <laughs> Marisol, man, you no, know you want to. No. I
2: I generally Dude, don't think that's my Yeah. My I don't think do you think it's Daxos? Um,
1: it's
2: cuz that's only because uh, uh, Honestly, I'd be for more it.
1: inclined to say Daxos than I would uh, really I I would I, Marisol. I
0: would love for you to say Daxos, man. That's
1: Yeah, honestly, I think I think Daxos was like it it, it has a special place in my heart because it was just like so clearly me just essentially like accepting that our meta had changed and like refusing to change with it and <laughs> I was just it, like yeah. okay you know what if people are just gonna play more creatures and like win even more out of nowhere I'll just play more wraths so I can just wrath every turn until the game ends and then no one will like <laughs> rather than like okay maybe I need a slightly different approach to solving this problem I'm it was still just, triggered
2: like, man the deck so states, I can't build the deck that doesn't do well through Wraths. Like, I just like I, I actually can't finish the deck, or I have no motivation to build a deck that doesn't work through Wraths. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's, a
2: good, it's a good rule of thumb for people to follow. Yeah, a really interaction in general, <laughs> which brings me to my favorite deck, Wart the Raid. Mother. Yes, <laughs> which cannot be interacted with in any reasonable way besides you killing it. Nice. or you put down a rule of law. But people don't do that in, in mid power so at least yeah. people other than Lyndon don't do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's uh-huh. it's unfortunate because my rule of laws keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I feel like I feel like the conditions on Lavinia Azorius Renegade are fair enough that it's it's like mid power. It's not like a problem in mid power, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um So you saying I can't play my favorite deck?
0: Okay. Also, the thing with all of Matt's every every time Matt comes up with like a mid power deck, dude, I just get so into it, and I just I I'm like, oh my god, I've got to like look at all the cards for this deck and like brew brew my own version. Matt has excellent taste in mid power decks <laughs> and and like just concepts, man.
2: <laughs> well, I haven't told you about my latest concept because oh, I'm still struggling with it. <laughs> it's all not right. ready to be unleashed. But, um, yeah, okay, yeah.
0: so. Next up, we've got our favorite CDH decks. I mean, Gitrog Monster, obviously, for me. Uh, oh. Land and Graveyard, and also Sentimental Place for being my first, like, true CDH deck.
1: Wow. Imagine you just you just had to wait until Reek was out of the room to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> he knows. He knows.
1: He knows. I mean, I feel like Varel's Hook was more real when you first built it.
0: yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't like super meta. Like Get Rogue Monster was like very. Get Rogue Monster has like never dropped in popularity. I swear to God.
2: Just Despite- because of, it's because it was instantly hipster and it's has ma- maintained its hipster status. It's
0: not hipster though. It's like the most popular deck server of all time. And
1: yet you're somehow all hipsters. It's just <laughs> <a> few <laughs>
2: pe- I, I can't imagine it being the most popular deck the Discord, but like. That's because I don't Discord. It's, like, I, just it blows it by, it by a Has... large margin.
0: Yeah,
2: of like active users.
0: It's got 2,200 2, members. It's
1: hard to it's hard to count like active users, but at the very least, users. Like I mean, like,
2: just what's the feel? Like what it feels like? It's the most active. Oh, it's by no, far no, no, the no, most active.
1: Like, in, in terms, okay. in, in terms okay, of in active terms members, messages. Yeah. In terms of members and in terms of messages per unit time, it's the most active cdh deck server by a pretty wide margin
3: okay it's
0: because it's <laughs> we've, the, it, I'll, I'll tell you urza and Najila are like the next closest and they're close-ish in members but i think they're they trail by like yeah. 500. Najila doesn't surprise I me i think
1: food chain is also actually maybe that one has but in really terms of activity I,
0: it's because the gate rock server is like such a cult community that like in terms of activity no other deck server comes close I'll, I'll i'll matt after the show i'll i'll pull up the numbers on like the amount of messages the get rogue server sent in the past month compared to like the next runners up and it'll yeah blow right. your and mind. Then, then also then by, and then filter by then filter by
2: memes yeah and then, yeah,
0: then it would be zero <laughs> <laughs> um so morgan favorite cdh
2: deck uh
1: anyone want to try and guess uh
2: okay. holland I, I wasn't gonna say Holland, and Muldrotha. I definitely am not saying Muldrotha. <laughs> Dang, definitely not, but it might be. Uh Oh, Anola. no, it's
1: it's definitely Vanifar. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Not, we're so close.
0: Now, if raid had been on, we would have gotten the we would have gotten we've yeah, covered all not three. Not now,
1: yeah. but when like Vanifar is a deck when Flash was legal. Obviously, the rest of the meta around it was not super fun, but just like I don't know, it was just like. It was like, you know, uh, it was like brain candy every time, trying (laughs) to, like... It's like, okay, this puzzle has a solution. I know it does. And then you just have to, like, look at all these, like, weird, misshapen pieces, and then also realize that, like, one of your pieces is broken and two of them are missing, and you're like, (laughs) but I can still assemble this. And, I don't know, it just, like... I just had so many, like, really satisfying, like you know, I, I saw a line that, like, never occurred to me, you know, when I put the deck together and was, like, working through the lines and gold fishing and whatever, it's like, this never occurred to me, like, you know, I drew this piece, and there was a Null Rod, and there was a this, um, and, like, it just, you know, I had to get through, like, so many different different things to, like, get the deck to actually work, and it was also very rewarding to, like, have people essentially go, like, meh, this deck, like, like I think people... They saw it, they're like, this looks crazy. They put like 10 seconds of thought into it and went like, okay, this actually doesn't seem that good in just Simic. And then like to have the deck actually work and, you know, like perform in like online games and at our meetups, and then also in tournament um was like a really satisfying experience.
2: See, I remember it as I wanted to see that the card was spoiled and then uh, I think, I don't know, somehow I guess we were DMing and then you. It was clear that you were working on a build and you brought it to one of our meets and I'm like, I'm just going to let it resolve. And I'm going to watch it happen because I I need to know how deadly it is. And you had like, I don't know, a 2 CMC in play or something like very low. uh, And uh, you obviously won on like turn 4. And i never let it resolve. Pass that game <laughs> But no, because the first night, the first. Like, I took
1: that deck to 9-0 and when I first started playing it, and I remember, like, the first night I took it out, there was also a game where there was, like, she got countered or killed twice, and there was a Cursed Totem in play, and I still somehow pulled it out. That's awesome. Yeah. It, and then... Definitely, and
2: then,
1: yeah. It, it certainly, yeah, obviously, you know, that was, like, but that's, and, I think and that's people more adjusted, like, but it yeah, was... Yeah, that's
2: more, like, people catching on to that fact a bit later than me. Yeah. <laughs> You can't let it resolve. Well, you can let it resolve. You just can't let it untap. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: I've gotten way too many people, way too many times with the. I mean, now it's title Barracuda, not Dozan, but at the time it was Dozan. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just like, all right, I'll activate it, and they're like, "Well, I'll just wait until he like commits a combo piece, and then I'll just like bounce the vanifier I was like, "Cool, Dozan, all right, Mike." <laughs> uh, Matt, favorite yeah. CDH deck.
2: I think it looked, Yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you. Like, strictly hours, I probably have the most hours in Teferi, and that, that felt good, um, getting on that deck, like, early. Yeah. But I think the most. My, my most satisfying wins, though they are very few, has probably been my Racio's Bruce deck. Nice. <laughs> because, uh, you all. You. You're, like. The game is always on turn, like, 40 or something, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's always, like, a long game, and those are always fun games. Uh, at least, uh. Our play group, um, and you always have like no cards left. So, I don't know, it's fun, or you or you've burned like twenty counter spells in a turn cycle. You know, it's it's they're satisfying.
1: Remember that brief blissful period where you were playing Teferi and like no one was playing Dimna. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that was
2: great. Yeah, that was a great that was a great time. Uh, it was uh, quite a an eye opener for sure and now i play three toughness commanders
0: <laughs> um awesome okay i have an honorable mention and my honorable mention is my golos 99 land stack oh my God. it's it's the culmination of my love hate relationship with golos i've built uh, as i've mentioned in a previous episode like five or six different golos decks and every time it's been like uh, this is too good. Got to, you know, nerf it somehow. Got to make it so I can't activate Golos. Uh, it's still too good. Yeah, you know, it's like just don't run any spells, man. And then also just, mm. it. I think it's like the ultimate expression of everything you can do with lands in like Commander or like Magic. Just being able to like the idea being try and do everything in the same way that uh, Mannaless Dredge is try and do everything. All the same stuff as a normal deck in magic without you know spending mana. Uh, you know, try and do the same thing as any other normal deck in magic without having any spells. And uh, lands have gone to the point where you can pretty much do that, so yeah, definitely yeah. an honor. I mention definitely from
2: respect you. your like beautiful griffin untap combo. I don't remember exactly how it works, but. You came up with this line, I guess, where you could like turn Mutavolt into a Griffin and then untap it with like a Griffin le- Untapper land.
0: Okay, so there's. I'll give uh, the
2: listeners. Okay, no, of we're, the... Not,
1: we're not going into this. Oh, this episode dang. is long enough as it is. Honestly, okay. every every time you no, bring up the veto. Golos deck,
2: though, you have to just be like, uh, well, it's my Golos deck. HTTPS yeah. <laughs> colon slash slash architect. Please leave a comment. <laughs> true, true, true. Oh okay, really, anyone else really have any honorable there.
0: mentions? Uh
3: huh.
2: Oh man, okay. I mean, this is kind of like, I guess it is, but I was working on like Goryeo's Vengeance stuff uh, in modern way before. uh, I can't even remember the deck name now, but.
1: Grishelbrand?
2: Grishelbrand? No, not Grishelbrand, no. Uh, What? Yeah, 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 Grishelbrand. That was a deck, yeah. yeah. Way before, like, Grishelbrand was a popular deck, though all the cards were obviously legal in modern. Put it down, and then like a couple years later, Grishelbrand Brand came on, and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't think of this. Okay, Matt. Like, Matt I was has also been I was on looking the ball at those with cards. Storm
0: too. Matt was working on gifts like a
2: gift Storm deck before Gift
0: Storm was like a thing, and he was so close, man. He was so <laughs> close. I think what was can't get the, the the what's the card? The green card that adds one man of each color. Um, channel the Sun Channel the, channel sun, the sun yeah <laughs> dude we were working on like Channel the Sun piles it was it was hot yeah
2: I was able to beat Morgan's uh, Soul Sisters deck
1: <laughs> with <laughs> <Yeah>. Storm <laughs> um
2: I mean like I, I mean not consistently
1: I mean I guess yeah. you were just you were just too early right because because you were pre-Bural yeah which is like what really made Storm
0: thing, right? sorry Electromancer was still a thing yeah sure but playing was 8 Electromancers
1: 4 yeah, of, which true. are easier yeah. to cast than Electromancer is, is pretty hot <laughs> um yeah I guess I, I have a, a very vague and general honorable mention, which is just the casual magics magic decks that I played with my friends in my spare period in high school that got me into the game. <laughs> yeah. There were there were like too many to like you know, go through all of them. There was one that was like one of my friends had a deck that was based around the like the suspend cards that put themselves back into suspend. And then like um Paradox Haze for extra upkeep,
2: so you were like cycling through them
1: faster. (laughs) That was a sweet deck. Yeah.
2: Um, Honestly, yeah, this is good. Okay, this is kind of a weird shout out, but shout out to all of Magic Aid's YouTube channel. (laughs) All of his decks are awesome. (laughs) He makes sweet decks. Cool.
0: Um, So, before we wrap up the show, we've got a few listener questions that we're going to cover. So the first listener question comes to us from uh, Pillsbury Smoboy. Um And the question is, which CDH staple has the best art?
3: Hmm.
2: Okay, I have a bunch of fake answers. I want to get out of the way. Okay. So my first two fake answers are <laughs> Dark Ritual and Counterspell because they have the most art variety options. <laughs> okay. And I, yeah. think all, I think they're very consistent in being good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the I most guess I, art variety
1: options, that's cute. <laughs> Oh, yeah, basic lands. Yeah, more.
0: <laughs> I feel <don't know>, like
2: <laughs> sure. You can sleeve up your full art Zendikar lands. I don't care, dude. I'm talking about real art. <laughs> <laughs> so I genuinely, I think the best, one of the best arts is probably Pact of Negation, like all time. Though Jessica's will, I think, is also pretty cool, but is uh, new, so we'll see how that.
1: You know, I sits. I don't want to I don't want to give this answer because I don't want people to think I think it's a staple, but I'm slowly accepting that I've just lost this one so I'm going to say Peer into the Abyss.
0: Yeah, Peer has really cool art. It reminds me of Recurring Insight.
1: And if it's just, only it was CDH playable. It's super yeah, yeah,
0: Um My answer is Ad nauseum. I think it's just Dude, you look at the guy with his, like, no arms or whatever. He's, like, on the ground. He's, like, ugh. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty
2: gnarly, yeah. Um, it's one of the few cards that I... But to be fair, I was foil. just kind
0: of, like, I didn't go through every CDH staple and pick up my absolute favorite art, which, I mean, I, maybe, my answer is probably different if I uh, if I do that.
2: But Yeah, I picked up one of my decks and, like, looked through it.
0: <laughs> Ad, Ad nauseum has uh, some pretty iconic art. Uh, okay. And then our final listener question comes to us from Play M, which is why is Sans black evo tier one
3: i think the
0: yeah, answer so, is I mean, it's not right
1: you, you this may is be a c- H- H- to give a podcast. glib answer to give a glib answer like it's not but the thing is it is it's tier one and as we all know tier lists start at s and then they go a b c <laughs> <laughs> all the yeah. way through Z, and then you get to one true true nice. <laughs> yeah that's all i wanted to say about that <laughs> i mean does anyone,
0: S. i don't think yeah i don't think anyone on the pod thinks like Song black like evo is like it depends on yeah. how you tier lists and you know i don't think we're gonna get into that but like no i
2: think i think it's very poorly positioned in the in the main game right now yeah unfortunately as much as it's a fun deck to play
0: yeah definitely still viable it's like yeah lots of decks that are viable not everything can be the you know yeah super well positioned uber top of the format but uh yeah Thank you for our listener questions. So that about wraps it up for this episode. If you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at Into the Pod via our email, intonorthpodcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. An extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us towards working and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a patron, we are at patreon.com slash into the North podcast. Another way you can support us is via our TCG player affiliate link. So anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, if you use our affiliate link, uh, which is in the podcast slash YouTube description, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo, to our video editor, Manta Ray Hat, and to our long-suffering podcast editor, Roadkill. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see it.
1: Have a good one.